morning, everyone. Are you excited for our topic here today? Yeah, some of you are like, I'm going to give you uh, my first spicy political take of the day, okay? I'm not a fan of daytime or daylight savings. I just wish things would stay as they are. That's kind of that's where I'm at with that, in case you're wondering with that. Uh, but today, today we do want to actually start off a series taking a look at the politics of Jesus. And what I mean by that is actually something very direct. Do we want to talk about Jesus and politics? We want to talk about how Christians should approach politics. That basically what we're going to do throughout the series is to do what you're not supposed to do in polite company, to talk about religion and politics. We're going to talk about both those two things here together. How does that sound to people here today? Yeah. All right. Some people are excited. Some people are nervous. Uh, some people, I'm sure, will have, I don't know, lots of different reactions to this. Because can we just be honest with this right up front? Politics can be quite divisive, can it not? Right? Yeah, we can say amen to that. And if you don't, it just proves the point that it's divisive, right? Right? Politics can be divisive. What I also really think is that politics today, politics today has a unique ability specifically to distract and divide Christians from one another. I think this is a problem. I think this is why we need to talk about it. So for the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're really going to dive into this murky and kind of divisive topic, taking a look at what the politics of Jesus might be. And here's kind of my general frame of reference for this entire series, okay? Here's what I believe. I believe that our faith should determine our politics rather than our politics affecting our faith. Does that make sense? That we want to put our faith first, Amen that Jesus Christ is the one that we follow, that we do not follow any political party, person, or politicians. Christ is the center of Christianity, amen? This should be pretty straightforward stuff. And I wanna unpack this over the next few weeks and how we're called really to follow Christ. But what I wanna do today is to give you some introductions. So here's what we're gonna be doing here today. Here's kind of the structure. I wanna first define what politics is so we kinda of know what we're talking about, okay? Then I wanna talk about why it's important for us to talk about politics in church right now and this season going to give you some guidelines, and then what we're going to really dive into here near the end is we're going to actually start to explore the politics of Jesus. What I want to show you is how Jesus is way more political than we think, but not often in the way that we think. That's what I want to take a look at today. So we're going to do some definitions, we're going to do some timing, some guidelines, and then we're going to do some really deep theology exploring the politics of Jesus. So first, I want to do some definitions about what the word politics actually means, because it can mean a lot to different people. So today, I want to read to you a definition from one scholar and then a few definitions from another scholar. The first scholar's name is Patrick Shiner. The second scholar's name is ChatGPT. Okay, so uh, <laughs> ChatGPT, help me with this. So here's a few definitions of politics to kind of get our, our heads around what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Okay? So first, here's an academic definition of politics. Politics refer to the study and analysis of the distribution of power, decision-making processes, and the shaping of policies within a society. It encompasses the activities, structures, and dynamics that determine how a community or nation allocates resources, resolves conflicts, and exercises authority. That's kind of more of an academic definition. A philosophic one would be this, okay? That politics can be understood as the means by which individuals come together to collectively determine the rules, norms, and values that govern their social interactions. Or a more popular kind of definition might be this. Politics is often seen as the art or practice of gaining and using power in government and other authoritative bodies. It involves making decisions that affect different people's lives and is often associated with the competition between different groups, right? 
That's when people want your votes and stuff. That's what that means. Okay? Competition between different groups or individuals to achieve their interests or goals. Or Patrick Schreiner in his book, Political Gospel, puts it this way. Political simply means the activities associated with the organization and governance of people. It has to do with rulership and who has the right to order our lives. It is what happens in the public domain. Politics is simply about how we partner together for the flourishing of humanity and of the world. Those are some of kind of the definitions that will give you some of the ideas of what we're talking about. But if all of those don't kind of make sense, here's what politics is to me. Okay, here's kind of our definition that we'll work forward with. That politics is about how we organize and structure people, power, and our collective purposes together. Okay? That's what politics is all about. Politics is about how we structure people together, how we organize people together, who gets to make decisions about people, right? That's power. And what collective purposes we are actually chasing after together. I'll give you some examples then of how politics is actually in this kind of definition, is a part of our lives in everyday ways, in big and in small ways, okay? So first, obviously politics impacts all of our lives in really large ways when we think of things like the Canadian government, okay? Right? Like the Canadian government is really here to structure how we make decisions and what we collectively go after as a culture together. We actually pool resources together, right? You probably don't love that. You know what that's called? Taxes, right? Taxes, that's what that is. That's shared resources that then are spent in this way or that way. That really politics in the big ways are about how we are governed as a country, how decisions are made, right? And where we are actually going, right? So politics is there. It's also part of our lives in small and everyday ways as well. Politics can both be big things and small things. So for example, in your business, right, politics is involved when someone gets a promotion or someone else doesn't, right, about how those decisions are made, about who has the right to make those decisions. Politics might be in your school place as well, right, in your school, with who gets on which team or who makes decisions on this or that or what clubs there are or whatever. Politics, as some of you have told me before, politics can even be involved in like hockey and uh, dance teams and stuff like that, about who gets ice time or preferential treatment or whatever. Politics is also involved in families, right? That when you get together, politics is about who actually gets invited and who doesn't. Or I don't know if you're like this in your family, I just get told what to bring to things. Anyone else like that, right? I never seem to get to be the person who makes the decision for what we're eating or who is bringing what. Right? That's actually politics, right? But how we come together as a family, right? It's involved in all these different areas of our lives. So when we're talking about politics, what we're going to be really talking about is about how we organize and structure people, power, and this collective purpose together, okay? And as I said, politics then is a part of our lives in everyday big ways, think like the Canadian government, and then in small ways, think like your family gatherings and that sort of thing too, okay? So then why, why talk about it today? Why kind of address this? Because I know even as soon as we kind of saw that bumper or announced it last week, right, there's probably a huge variety of responses. Some people are like, for the first time, they are never missing a Sunday, right? Like, they're going to be here every single week, right? That's great. I hope, I hope you are, right? Others of you are like, oh, you might be feeling a little bit tense or a little bit worried. Some of you, I'm sure, are like, I hope Andrew says this or I hope he doesn't say that or, or whatever, right? Some of you might be a bit nervous because it can be divisive. Some of you might think this is like the worst idea ever to kind of address all of this. And if that's you, you've been talking with my wife. That's fine. That's okay, right? That's okay. So why talk about it now? Why not do something easy and straightforward? Well, today I want to give you three reasons why it's incredibly important 
for churches, and I think especially for us in this day and age, in this time, to actually talk about it. Okay? So I want to give you three reasons around why we're going to be talking about it for the next uh, four weeks. And they are a personal one, a sociological one, and a theological one. And if you wonder which one matters most to me, it's a theological one. Okay? So first, the personal reason, one, personal reason for why we're talking about this. That if politics is a part of all of our lives, and it is, then I just think we should talk about it. I think that's pretty straightforward. It affects all of our lives, it's a part of all of our lives, and it's a part of both big ways and small ways, so I think it should be addressed in church. Okay? Second reason for why I think we should actually talk about it, and this is more of a sociological reason, is that what I'm expecting in the next year is that for political rhetoric, intensity, grandstanding, and division to actually increase. This is what I'm expecting. Okay? I'm expecting that political rhetoric, the political intensity and polarization will increase in the next year. And I say this to you, not because I've had like a word from the Lord or something like that, okay? just because I'm paying attention. Anyone know what's going to happen actually one year from today? American election is true, is exactly true. Now, I know we don't live in the States, but what I also know as Canadians is that the States has this gravity to it that kind of pulls us in. So I expect that as we move into a political election in the United States over the next year, I expect that there will be increased rhetoric, increased kind of uh, division, and also intensity to political conversation. That what I expect will end up happening is that the election in the States will start to clog up and clutter up our news feeds, our conversations, and maybe even our hearts and minds as well. So I think it's important for us to talk about, to address it before it happens, right? Third reason, and for me, this is the most important reason, and it's a theological reason. That, as I said earlier, I really do believe that the biggest distraction, temptation, and idol of the church in the West is actually politics. And I think this needs to be addressed. That the biggest distraction, temptation, and idol of the church in the West is actually politics. That when we talk about the Western evangelical church, that's what I'm talking about. When we talk about the Western evangelical church, it has become so thoroughly politicized that politics and political affiliation are now core over faith, actually. That politics is now core to evangelicals over faith. And we've seen this in the last number of years, actually. We saw this in COVID, when actually Christians, rather than actually altering their politics, would just change churches to find one that aligned with their politics. We see this now where there are people and evangelicals who will hold political stances that affiliate with their party, but not the actual life and ministry of Christ. We've seen this consistently by there being an evangelical fervor for political action that I don't think is actually matched with a fervor for prayer and actually spiritual action. This is actually becoming so clear now in the States that there's a new phenomenon actually that when they do lots of testing and they do lots of like statistical analysis, all that sort of stuff, that now what they are finding when they do these big kind of studies and that sort of thing is that there are Muslims, there are Hindus, and there are people of other faiths who check the box evangelical on surveys, not because they believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, but because evangelical aligns with their political beliefs. This is a problem. It is a problem that evangelical has more of a political overtone than a Christ-like one. This is a major problem for the church in the West. This is why it needs to be addressed. That what I really deeply believe is that politics is blinding, distracting, and damaging our witness for Christ. Okay? I want to say that again because this is what I deeply believe and why it needs to be addressed. That politics today is blinding, distracting, and damaging our witness for Christ. 
And you might not know this, but a pastor's job is not just to call out sins in the world, actually. Do you want to know what a pastor's real job is? To name the sins and temptations and idols within the church, actually. That's what Paul is really, really clear. He says, my job is to actually shepherd the church. And this is a temptation for Christians, especially in the Western evangelical church. That in many ways, we are trading Jesus for king for a political party. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Because here's what I believe. I believe that we follow Christ, no one else. Amen? I believe that we follow Christ. I believe we follow him. And our focus, then, needs to be on trust, faith, and allegiance to Christ over trust and faith and allegiance to any political party, person, platform, whatever. It's about trust in Christ. So I think we need to talk about it because it affects us personally because we're going to be moving into this weird season of politics and also because it's a huge temptation, idol, and actually sin of the church to trust in politics over Jesus. And this needs to be addressed. So as we move into this, I want to invite you to kind of have three guidelines as we kind of talk about this over the next few weeks, okay? And the three guidelines are pretty simple. First, be here each week. That's what I want to invite you into. Some of you, as I said, you're like, yeah, I'll be here each week. I'm bringing popcorn. I want to hear what's going on, right? Like, that's fine, okay? Be here each week. Be here each week. Because honestly, and you know this, I'm not going to be able to share everything in one sermon or even four, really. But I do think that they build on one another and they'll give more clarity as we go. Secondly, I want to invite you to be here, but then also to be open to listening to the Holy Spirit. I think that's the goal for us, to listen to the Spirit. And this is true, that occasionally the Spirit will also comfort us, but you know what the Spirit also does? Convicts us. So I think we should be open to both of those two things from the Holy Spirit, both comfort and conviction, because I hope this doesn't offend you, but if it does, I don't know, welcome to the gospel, okay? Here's what I think. Nobody is so perfect and put together that the Holy Spirit doesn't have something to change in their life, amen? Right? Like nobody's so perfect and put together that the Holy Spirit has nothing to direct in your life or in mine. Right? So we're going to come with the expectation both for comfort but also for conviction. Where might Christ want us to step and to change and to move? The third thing is, and you've probably already seen this theme already. The third thing is as we move into this, keep Jesus your focus, not your personal political leanings. Keep Jesus your focus, not your personal political leavings. Because he is the one we follow. He is the one that is true king, reigner, and ruler. He is the one that we pledge allegiance to first and foremost and fully. Okay? So those are kind of my guidelines. right? Be here, be open to the spirit, and keep Jesus at the center. Right? So with that, with that, today I do want to actually start off this series by taking a look at how Jesus is way more political than we think, but often not in the way we think. Then next week, we're going to take a look practically at what his politics look like. And then we're going to take a look at some few political actions that we can be a part of as the church. So I want to begin by talking about how Jesus is more political than we often think, but not in the way we think. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark uh, 1, verse 1. Today, we are going to hope to get through one verse. That is, that is our goal, okay? We're going to hope to get through a single verse. And what I want to show you is how this verse is way more political than any of us really realize, I think, and how it's political in a way we aren't expecting. So I'm going to read it to you, and then we're just going to try to work through one verse here this morning. Okay? We read this. This is the opening to the book of Mark. And if you don't know Mark, Mark is like fast-paced. Mark was the first gospel written. Mark has this like punchy attitude to him, and it's like boom, boom, boom. He dives right into things. Okay, we read this. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Anyone want to say amen to that? 
right? Amen. This is what we're going to take a look at. This is about the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And here, though, here, though, I think we don't quite have the ears to hear what Mark is saying rightly. Because what he is saying here is deeply political, confrontational, and challenging. I'm telling you, the early Christians who would have read that would have been like, oomph. It would have felt like a gut punch. There would have been some, like, some hesitation. It would have been challenging. It would have been confrontational. The problem is, is that as we move forward in time, things that were clear to an original audience become less clear to us. Okay? I want to give you a modern-day example that I saw on the Internet. And I thought it was funny. And I'm already laughing, but um, so I'm going to read it to you. But I think it illustrates the problem with time. Okay? And this is a modern-day example. Uh, we read this okay, from the Internet. 2,000 years from now, people will not understand the difference between butt dial and booty call. And this is exactly why the Bible is hard to understand. <laughs> right? And that's really what I want to kind of talk about today. Not, not the difference between a butt dial and a booty call. If you don't know that, ask your teenager. That's fine. Okay? The point being that words that make sense to an original audience, as time goes, can make less sense. You can imagine in 2,000 years, those terms kind of being a bit more confusing. Right? That we lose some of the original kind of ears to hear things. And when then Mark says, when he says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, what I want to suggest to you is that we hear those terms religiously when they should be heard politically, actually. I want to show you from the text. So today, I want to teach you what the word Son of God means, what the word Messiah means, and what the word good news means. Because they are way more political than I think many of us realize. So let's first start with the word son of God. And I think as soon as we hear the word son of God, we think about Jesus being God's own son. We think about him being like the second person of the Trinity, about him being divine. This is all true theologically, absolutely. Okay? But what we miss is how political that statement is. Because what the original hearers would have heard was not theological statements, they would have heard political ramifications. That when Mark said, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the original audience, you want to know what they would have heard? They would have heard words of treason, sedition, and blasphemy. That's how it would have impacted them. They would not have heard this religiously. They would have heard this politically. That back then, in that day and age, there was a Son of God. There was only one Son of God. And his name was Caesar, not Christ. So as soon as you say the term son of God, people will be thinking about Caesar. And what does Mark do? Mark says, no, no, no. Caesar is not the reign and the ruler and the son of God. Christ is. It is a political term about who has the authority to reign and rule today. That's what the word son of God means in that day and age. It's about who is reigning and ruling and in charge today. That Caesar Augustus was thought to be the savior. Caesar Augustus was thought to be the son of God. Caesar Augustus was actually thought to be divine. Right? And so here comes Jesus actually saying, no, 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 no. This all applies to me, not to you. Let me give you an example of this, actually. We know this because back that day and age, they actually had, like we do today, coins, right? Commerce. Let me show you a picture of coins from back then in that day and age. Anyone want to take a guess whose face that is? Caesar, okay, Caesar. And while you might not be able to read all of it, do you know what it says on the right there? It says Divi Filius. Divi Filius. Your Latin may not be great. Anyone want to take a guess what that means? Son of God. 
Son of God. So every time they are buying and selling, they are remembering that Caesar is the son of God, that Caesar is the one who is in charge, that Caesar is the one who brings peace to the Roman Empire. So you can imagine then Mark starting off his gospel with saying, guess who's the son of God? It's not Caesar, it's Christ. That's a political statement. It's about saying that he is the one that we worship and follow and pledge true allegiance to. You can actually see how political this word son of God is in the Bible itself if you kind of have, I don't know, eyes to see it. I want to show it to you from the book of John, okay? In John 19, Jesus is being tried for sedition and treason, okay? That's what he's being tried for. And this is where he goes to Pilate, okay? And the Jewish leaders of the synagogue, they come and they actually bring forward the charge, right? Listen to what they say. This is in John 19, verse 7. The Jewish leaders replied, by our own law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. Now, if that phrase was just theological, Pilate would not care. He wouldn't, right? He would not care if there's some wandering cynic out in the desert that is saying he's descended from God theologically. But that is not what that term means. It is political. Listen to the very next verse. When Pilate heard this, when Pilate heard that Jesus was calling himself the Son of God, listen to his reaction. He was more frightened than ever because he knows that the term Son of God is a direct challenge and confrontation to Caesar, and now Pilate needs to act. That there is a political ramifications to this term. The word Son of God has for sure, absolutely, it has theological meaning. Yes, we 100% affirm that Jesus has descended uh, from the Father, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. But what we cannot miss is the political ramifications that this term had for the original audience. It was a politically loaded term. And that's what we need to regain. Okay? That when Jesus says that he is the Son of God, what is actually being said there in the book of Mark is that Jesus is the true Son of God, not Caesar. Jesus is the true ruler, not Rome. Jesus is the one that we need to pledge allegiance to, not the empire. Okay? So that's the first term, Son of God. Same thing happens with the second term, actually, which is translated as like good news. Or you might know it from the KGV, the gospel. Okay? So Mark 1, we read this. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Or the KGV translates it this way. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here again, because of the influence of Christianity in the West, when we hear the word gospel, we think theology and religion, even if we haven't been kind of raised in the church. These are the, the kind of overtones of it. But again, this term was not primarily a religious term back then. It was primarily actually, a, take a guess, political one. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to like... Uh, uh, fake you all out there. No, it's a political term. It's what it is, okay? That what would happen in that day and age, the word in Greek is the word euangelion. What would happen in that day and age is when Rome would crush someone, when Rome would win a battle, when Rome would take over another country, do you want to know what happened? They would come and proclaim the good news and the gospel of what they had done. They were proclaimed the euangelion of the good news of their actions here on earth, it was a political term that often was related to actually the announcements of the empire. I want to read to you an inscription uh, from that day and age that talks about Caesar Augustus. Notice with me, it's called the Pyrene inscription. Notice with me how this language sounds a lot like the Gospels. 
and it's going to talk about Caesar as the savior, the one who is born from, uh, from a god, and also as the one who brings like peace and justice. Notice with me here how in the ancient day people would talk about Caesar. We read this, okay? This is from uh, uh, that time, in the, that time uh, in the ancient world. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, right? So we're talking about Caesar, Caesar Augustus, right? Whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a, what's the term? A savior. Caesar Augustus was thought to be the savior of the world, sending him as a savior both for us and for our descendants. He's seen as a savior for the, all of the world, both now and in the future. This is how they talked about Caesar Augustus, that he might end war and arrange all things. Right? This kind of sounds like the language of justice that Jesus even brings. Right? And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. What they're saying there in ancient language is that he is the best. Okay? To use a term that the kids use, he's the goat. Okay? The greatest of all time. That's what he's saying about himself. Right? That he is the best. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news, was the beginning of his euangelion, was the beginning of his gospel, right? It says, for the world that came by reason of him. This is how this language was used back then. The problem is, is that with 2,000 years, we don't hear it the same way anymore. That we've lost some of it, right? We need to regain it if we are going to understand those two things. Both how Jesus was way more political than we think, but often not in the way we think. Okay? So when, when we read about the good news, it's a political term announcing what is going on. And Jesus is saying that what's really going on is not Roman Empire, but him and his arrival. Okay? Last term we'll take a look at today. Last term we'll take a look at today is Christ. Now, I know we sometimes talk about Jesus as if Christ is his last name, right? I know that. And sometimes it seems that way, especially if you don't know anything, like in the sense that you haven't been told, we kind of use it as if it's a last name, but it's not actually. It's actually, again, a political term. It really just means Messiah. And the hopes for the Jewish people was this, that a Messiah would come and he would reign and rule on the earth now. He would overthrow all the corrupt rulers and that he would reign with justice and with righteousness and that he would reign forever. That there's this political kind of implications to this term, Messiah or Christ. Right? So I just think what ends up happening in our day and age, if we've lost some of the ears to hear these terms correctly. New Testament scholar Niji Gupta, he puts it this way. He says, in the ancient world, there is no sharp divide between religion and politics. In fact, many imperial subjects revered the emperors as godlike fingers or honored them alongside the gods. This makes a world of difference when the early Christians preached, sang, and confessed a gospel about their own Savior who ruled as Son of God. That when Mark shows up and he says this, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, that would have been heard instantly and immediately as a political threat and challenge to Rome, to Caesar, and to the empire, and that Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, it's all about him, not about you. Right? That's what that would be heard of. So the first thing I want us to just try to understand as we enter into this murky and divisive kind of realm of politics 
is that Jesus is way more political than we often think. We just don't have quite the ears to hear it because it's been 2,000 years. The second thing, though, I want us to kind of notice is that Jesus, though, is not political in the way that we think. That Jesus, and this should be pretty straightforward, but this is true. That Jesus, when he shows up, follow with me, he does not endorse any other person. Right? He does not actually show up and endorse any other group. He does not show up and endorse any other candidate, politician, or anything else. Right? When Jesus shows up, he creates, follow with me, he creates his politics around himself. It is about him. And here's my belief, okay? Here's my belief. That Jesus, full of authority and righteousness, submits to no other earthly person than the Father in heaven. That is the only person he submits to. Which is why, which is why, this might be new for some of us, there is no political Christian party. There just isn't. Because Christ is not the mascot of any other group or person. He actually doesn't submit to anyone else. He is king. He is ruler. He is in charge. We follow him, not anyone else. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to know where I stand politically, there. Okay? That's what I think. That's what I think. This is why then when Jesus' very first words in the Gospel of Mark, I'm going to read them to you. This is why with Jesus' very first words, we can see it's all about him. Listen to what he says. This is his first words, just a few verses later. When Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news, he says this. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent your sins and believe the Gospel, the euangelion. Right? The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Do you want to know why the kingdom of God is near in that moment? Because of Jesus, because he's there, right? It's all about him and his kingdom and who he is and that we are called to follow and pledge allegiance to him because this is just true. Jesus will always be a challenge to any earthly ruler, system, party, or government, okay? Because he actually claims all authority and he doesn't share it with other people, okay? He claims all authority for himself. So today, what I hoped us to understand is just really two things. That Jesus is way more political than we think, but often not in the way we think. Because he is not inviting us to follow any political party or person here on earth. Right? He's inviting us to follow him. Which means, which means, to be really specific, okay? Like Trudeau isn't our king, and Polyev isn't our salvation. Right? <laughs> it's just, the only person who seeks and saves the lost is Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure that our faith shapes our politics and not the other way around as it's currently happening. We need to put Jesus first because he shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is near because I am near. I am the king. You pledge allegiance to me, not to Rome, not to Caesar, not to any other political party or person. We follow Christ and Christ alone. So what's my main point today? My main point in all of this is that we're going to try to carry through and unpack Next, we're going to look at it more practically about what it means. But my main point is just this, that Jesus is the king, and we are called to follow him over any other person, party, or system. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. He is the center of everything. That's my main point today, that Jesus is the king, and we are called to follow him over any other party, person, or system. And when Jesus speaks about himself being the son of God or the good news of the gospel, these are all political terms that he says is about him, and we follow him first, fully, and only. Next week, as I said, we're going to take a look at this practically. What do the politics of Jesus look like actually in practice? And then the last two weeks, I'm going to talk about two political actions that all of us can partake in. 
and they might surprise you, but those two political actions are going to be communion and baptism because they're actually incredibly, incredibly, incredibly political. But for today, what does this mean for us? Now, today I really just wanted to lay the foundation. In many ways, this isn't going to surprise you that I think the foundation is Christ, actually, that I think we follow him, that the main point really is that we follow Jesus above anyone else. But then what does this mean for us today, personally and practically? Because as I've often said here before, you don't come here for new information. You come for transformation. We come to meet with Jesus and to be changed. So you didn't come just to find out that there is a coin in the ancient day that says Son of God. Hopefully you came to actually experience and encounter Jesus. But what does this look like practically for us? Well, today I have one question that flows really from Mark's opening statement, where he says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That I believe the way, the way the early church and early hearers would have heard that was a question around allegiance. That that question would have really been asking them, who are you following? Are you following Christ or are you following Caesar? Today I want to ask the same question, who are you following? Who has your allegiance? Who really is at the heart of things for you? And I think that that question of who is your allegiance, I think if you're a follower of Christ, we might want to instantly say Jesus, right? But sometimes it's a little bit more tricky than that. Because what I've noticed over the past few years is it's very easy for us sometimes to say we follow Christ, but for politics to actually be the center of things. To let our earthly politics be of more primary importance than maybe our faith commitments. Or sometimes what easily happens is it's easy to slide from following Christ to following politics under the guise of following Christ. So today, what I want to do is I want to ask you a few questions. And these questions are not determinative. They're just meant to help you kind of wrestle through that question to discern, really, who are you following? Because what we believe here is that we need to follow Christ fully and fully, that he is the one that we do that with. So I want to offer you a few questions to help you discern this. I want to talk about our friendship. I want to talk about time. I want to talk about money. I want to talk about energy and politics itself. And these are just a few questions to get you thinking, okay? That today my challenge is going to be to really discern who has your allegiance. So let's begin thinking through our friendships. Here are a few questions for us to kind of discern over. First, do you have any deep friendships with people who value different politics than you? Or do all of your friends actually believe the exact same politics? Do you have deep friendships across political spectrum? Because if Christ has our allegiance, we're probably going to be okay with having some difference and some disagreement over politics itself. Do you have friendships across political lines? Okay, second question. It's more about time spent. And again, not one of these questions is determinative, but they're trying to, as a whole, okay, time spent. I want to invite you to think through this. How much time, this one might be a bit convicting, okay, but welcome to church, okay? How much time do you spend in politically saturated environments, such as, I don't know, Fox News, Twitter, Facebook, WDCX, NPR, TikTok? I, I don't know. How much time do you spend in politically saturated environments over things like prayer, Bible meditation, and reading? What actually takes up the majority of your time? Because if Christ has our allegiance, our main time should be spent in Christ-centered spaces. Right? So where's your time going? Thirdly, your money. Your money. Because these are all ways of us determining our allegiance. Your money. Are you more likely to give to political movements or faithfully uh, actually to your church? What are you more likely to give to? Spontaneous needs that you see that align politically or the ongoing ministry here in church? That actually our money reveals our values. So where are you giving? 
But let's think about our energy, our reactions. Where do you tend to get really worked up? Is it around political discussions? Right? Is that kind of where things really get going for you? Or, you know, I don't know, topics like evangelism or discipleship. Right? Like where really are you most motivated? Because that shows probably what matters most to you. Right? And if we're going to follow Jesus, what should matter most to us is our allegiance to Christ and Christ-like things. Or last, politics directly. And again, none of these questions are determinative. But politics directly. For you, is there one obvious Christian party that everyone should vote for? Because if you think that, that might actually be determining that politics is above Christ. Or, or are you okay with having some tension and some disagreement around some policies and that sort of thing? These are just questions that I want to invite you to think through. That my challenge for this week is just this, okay? My challenge for this week is just to discern and think through who has your allegiance. Is it Christ or is it politics and Caesar and all of that stuff? And if, if as we're discerning our lives, we realize we don't have many friendships kind of across political lines. We realize that all of our time is being spent in political saturated spaces. And that what gets us really going is politics. There might be an allegiance problem that needs to be addressed. But today, my main point is really, really simple. That Jesus is the king. We are called to follow him over any other person, party, or system. And what I want to invite you to do is just to sit and to discern who has your heart, who has your allegiance, who are you worshiping and truthfully following. Because here's what we believe, okay? We believe all of us need to follow Jesus Christ, amen? He's the center of things. So is that happening? Then next week, we're going to take a look at how you can put that into practice. Then we're going to take a look at communion and baptism, which are radically political events, and how we can participate in them as well. But to start all of this off, I want to start off with the foundation that I believe is for everything, that Christ is a king, we follow him, and let's make sure that he has our allegiance. That's my challenge for you this week, to just discern and to sit with that. And if there are any changes that need to be made, make some changes. Follow him, because he is the king, and he deserves our allegiance, our following, our trust, and our faith. So with that, would you join with me in prayer here today? God, I pray, as we kind of come into the series and as we continue to move through it, I pray, God, would you be the one that we pledge our allegiance fully to? Would you be the one that we follow? Would we place our faith and trust in you and no one else? And God, I pray if there's any way that politics has become an idol in our heart, a temptation, something that we almost worship, I pray instead, God, would you become the one that we worship fully with our hearts, minds, souls, body, our following, our obedience, and our discipleship. God, I pray as we enter into this, might you continue to lead and to guide us because we want to follow you. And today we boldly proclaim that you are king, that you are Lord, that you are a son of God, and that the good news is always, always, always about you. Might we live that out this week. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. And so to close today, I want to invite you to stand for a closing benediction here this morning, if you are able. And today for our closing benediction, it is just our verse from Mark that we explored. Might we hear it with the new ramifications that we explored here today. Here begins the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus then, he says this, at last the time has come, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Turn from your sins and believe this good news. Now, I hope you can join with us uh, next week. We do really believe in the importance of prayer and even world events, which is why on Wednesday, if you want to join with us at 630, we're going to have a prayer time to pray through everything. And if you want to know my, I don't know, view on things, we pray to Jesus to save the world. Amen?
that's what we're going to be doing. So you can join with us for that. As always, if you have any need whatsoever, there are people in our prayer room off to my left to be more than willing to meet with you and to pray with you. If you want to give, you can go to the give wall. If you're brand new, you can go to the big giant sign that says new start here. And then we hope to see you all next week as we continue on in the series. As always, grace and peace. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye, everyone.